0: Hi, I'm Charles Feldman,
1: And I'm Ila Edgar, and this is Trust On Purpose. We created this podcast with the intention of offering you new skills, behaviors, and actions that will help you build stronger trust in your lives. We will explore issues that arise in the workplace and offer guidance for leaders, coaches, and HR practitioners, and individual contributors to help them understand what's underneath these issues. The issues we often find are related to trust.
0: Today, we're going to talk about something we call the cycle of commitment. It's a series of conversations that tend to tighten up and ensure work gets done by the right people in the right times and that people are accountable for what they do. I'd like to start by actually talking a little bit about a team. Another colleague and I worked with a while back that was struggling with getting things done, getting things out the door. They were a product development team and they were not meeting their commitments that they made to internal customers within the company, which meant that the company in turn was not meeting their commitments to deliver to external customers. And they were actually beginning to lose customers. A lot of angst about this, a lot of stress and worry, about what was going to happen and the consequences of all of this. In the middle of this, my colleague and I came in and worked with this team. We very quickly diagnosed that probably the most valuable thing that we could help them with was to teach them this particular process or series of conversations and let them work with it and support them as they did so. We'll tell you how it all came out a little later, but what I want to start with, Dila, is just What are the elements or the different conversations in this cycle?
1: Hmm. Well, there's quite a few. And I think where we should start is with the request itself. Yeah. There is something that needs to be done. We are either accepting it or assigning it. And are we clear on what that is? Yeah.
0: So that is, in fact, the start of an action process. That's where when something needs to be done, the whole process starts or should start, ideally. What was happening, of course, in this company is people were just making assumptions about who was going to do what, when, and how, or there would be suggestions or there would be in team meetings, we need to do X, Y, Z, but no one was actually making clear and complete requests of anyone for the most part. While at the one hand, this is the start of a series of action conversations, is also for them the stumbling block that people were not making clear and complete requests of each other. So let me just talk a little bit about what constitutes a clear and complete request. So, Ila, if I want you to, let's say, gather some data about something and analyze it, and then bring it back to me and maybe some other people so that we can use it to make a decision. My clear and complete request to you would include, first of all, it'd be clear that I'm asking you. I'm not asking somebody else. I'm not asking, you know, the team. I'm asking you specifically. Elo, will you please do this? Gather the data, analyze it, and report back to us. So that's the first piece. Who it is, and the second piece is, What is it that I'm asking for? A third piece that is really critical here is what's the time frame? When do I want this done? Is it tomorrow afternoon? Is it three weeks from now? Is it close of business on Thursday? So be clear with you what I'm asking for. We'll get to what you can do in response to that in a minute. But what I want to do is make it clear what I'm asking for so that you understand what I want so there's the I want you to do it here in general is what it is I want you to do here's the time frame that I'm asking for and then there's another part here the fourth part which is what are my conditions of satisfaction what will satisfy me that it has been done the way I want it to be done I might say I'd like the report done as an Excel spreadsheet that we can all see and use and read I would like you to do a summary of your analysis, one paragraph long, that we can just check in on really quickly, because some of the people won't need all the detail, but I also want the detail there. Now I've given you a clear and complete request, including those basic four elements, and I've done so for the sake of you knowing what you're responding to, because you're going to be the one who's actually taking this on. And so you now have some options in terms of responding. I'll leave it to you. What are responses that you can make?
1: Well, I could say, yes, I understand your conditions of satisfaction. And I take these on. I commit to fulfilling your request based on your conditions of satisfaction. I could also say, no, I decline. And sometimes what I see is people justifying why they can't which is a whole other topic. I think a powerful no would be a great conversation at a later session, a later episode. The other option I have is to commit to commit. So Charles, I understand what you're asking me. Can I get back to you by end of day today? I need to check a few things before I let you know my response. And the fourth option we have is to negotiate. I hear your request. I can do this part by this time. Is that doable? Does that work for you? because I'm not able to do the whole thing. Yeah.
0: So in other words, a counter offer that becomes the start of a negotiation, perhaps between the two of us. And this is one of the things that people often kind of struggle with is, well, certainly people struggle with saying no to a boss or any kind of senior management. And in many cases, justifiably. It's not necessarily a good career move to say no to your boss and maybe never saying no is best. But the counter allows for space of saying, you know, help me with this. I have these things on my plate right now. And at the very least, can you help me prioritize? You've given me these 10 things and and -and so-and-so over here has given me this and I've got that going on and on and on. How important is this? Is it okay for me to do just some of it and we could find someone else? Or what are the possibilities? We basically end up in a negotiation and almost in some ways a conversation for possibilities for Doing this, getting it done, that I may end up doing the whole thing, but something else gets taken off my plate or our time is extended out a little bit. But at the end of that conversation, there should be some kind of clear commitment about yes, these are the things that I will do, or this is what I'll do, and this is the time frame I'll do it in, and these are the conditions of satisfaction, or a clear no, I'm not going to do it.
1: There is another piece in there around having a committed listener. Tell me more. What is that? Well, I see very often in a number of organizations that I work with that a request may be very clear, but it's lobbed over the fence. So it could be a quick hallway conversation where you're very clear in your request, but you haven't confirmed that the person is actually listening, or you send an email and assume you have acceptance. Or it could be a number of different scenarios like this. So you really want to make sure it's the requestors. Responsibility to make sure that they have a committed listener. As a crazy example, you know, me hollering down the stairs to the teenager and expecting him to deliver on the request. I don't have a committed listener. His headset's on and he's gaming with his friends. And when I walk downstairs, I shouldn't be disappointed that he didn't do what I asked him to do. I don't have a committed listener. But we miss that part when we're in conversation in organizations. We assume that because I've done this, the person has accepted. But you're right. We need that clear indication. Yes, I accept. No, I decline or whatever the variation might be.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think email is probably the worst part of that or the biggest contributor to that problem. I send you an email and it comes in along with the other 99 emails that you've been getting that day and it falls to the bottom of your list to even read the darn thing let alone actually do anything or send back. One of the things actually that a number of companies I've worked in have had a lot of success with is in the subject line saying request in bold or in in capital letters so that the recipient of the email knows that in that email is a request and that they're being asked to respond to it.
1: Absolutely. And even putting the timeline. Yeah. Absolutely. Great way. I think the other tricky thing, just as we're talking about some of this, is the whole concept of should.
0: Mm, Tell me more about that.
1: There's a whole lot of shoulding going on in our world. We should on ourselves, but we really should on other people and that we have expectations or, well, that's their job. They should just do that or they should just know that. For example, I'm working with two very large organizations that are coming together And so two different cultures, two different sets of procedures, standards, practices, accounting system, like everything is different. And there is this should that's happening with new team members that are working together. Well, they're an accountant. I'm an accountant. We should just know how to figure this out. Well, should isn't helpful to anybody. That's a standard you'll never meet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So what do you want to co-design so that you can be clear in requests or clear in the conversation and the action required?
0: And when people have been doing something together regularly for a while, a lot of the pieces like timeframe and conditions of satisfaction aren't necessary. You have a shared background of obviousness in this situation. Some years ago when I was working in a company and I was head of product marketing, among other things, I had three product line managers working for me two of whom I'd been working with for a while, and one who was pretty new. He'd only been on board, I think, a couple of months at this point. And I had a sudden request from the VP of marketing and the CEO and COO of the company to come and do an update for my product lines that I was responsible for. And so I asked my three direct reports there, my three product line managers to give me a summary of what was going on for their product lines. And the two guys that had been working for me for a while knew exactly what that meant. Bullet points, maybe not more than five, and clarity to a certain level of detail. And that was that. Given what they were doing, it should take them no more than 10 minutes to do. And they knew my time frame was, well, I think it was like four o'clock in the afternoon because the meeting was at 4.30. The new guy gives me back seven pages of detailed stuff. I was really pissed because I'm going, I have an hour now to figure out how to make this into five bullet points. And that's not what I had planned for this next half hour. So I'm upset with him. He feels bad because he's just disappointed his new boss. And at the same time, he thought he'd done the right thing. He'd done all this work. He'd set aside other stuff to put together the seven pages of material so nobody was happy. But the point is that when someone's new and you don't have a shared background of obviousness around things, that's when more detail in a request is important.
1: I think this is really making me want to emphasize again how important the conditions of satisfaction are. Brene Brown's voice just jumped into my head with clear as kind, unclear as unkind. When we are clear and thorough with our requests, it actually becomes much easier to provide feedback Here's the five conditions of satisfaction of the five criteria I had. You've completed those. Here's why that matters. Please continue to do that. That helps us keep accountable. Or here's the five things I requested. You met three of these conditions. I need these other two met. When can you get that done for me?
0: Which is really interesting because often when I start talking with someone either a team or an individual, about the elements of a clear and complete request, some of them will just, oh, I can't do that. That feels like I'm really being demanding. It doesn't sound nice to me. And so getting back to the clear is kind, that's a really nice way to think about that. In this case, clear is kind. And of course, you can put please in front of it. But clarity is the important piece, the value in it. So having a clear and complete request that has all the information that my listener needs to have in order to respond appropriately, and being sure that they're a committed listener in that moment, that they have the bandwidth to listen to me, and that I wait for their response. I don't just shoot it off to them and throw it over the fence or however you want to think about it, but I actually wait for a response. So then I get the response. Let's say I've asked you to do this data collection analysis report and you've committed to doing it by a certain date. Now you go off and you you do the work. What happens when you discover that something has come up that's going to actually make it difficult, if not impossible, for you to meet the commitment that you've now made?
1: What I see often is that it gets swept under the carpet and hope that nobody notices that I didn't finish that. But that causes so much damage in our trust, in our relationship. What I need to do is be accountable and say, Charles, I need that commitment to you. I've got three quarters of it done. I'm not going to finish the rest of it. How can I be accountable? How can we get this need met? Is there something else you can do? And own and apologize for the fact that you've taken on a commitment that you now can't completely complete. But also for me is we will break promises. Things happen And we make commitments and promises with good intention to fulfill. And so, to also be kind and gentle in ourselves, that these things will happen, but how we take care of them in respect to the relationship and accountability is really the key.
0: Yeah. In fact, from my perspective, an apology isn't even necessary. Things happen, things happen in work life. The important part is that you let the person know as soon as you know. Not waiting, because the closer it gets to the time that you're actually supposed to deliver and the less possibility there is to fix it, change it, do something different, the lower trust starts to go down, especially if this happens multiple times. Clearly getting back and canceling and renegotiating the commitment. I can't do it. Let's renegotiate now. What can we do to fix this?
1: I think as we're talking about the clear is kind and unclear is unkind, That when we come from a place of care and commitment to the other person's success, when we're not clear, we're actually not setting them up for success. We're either setting them up for disappointment, that they do much more than we actually needed them to do, or that they do much less than we needed them to do. When we come with clear requests from a place of care, because I want you to succeed in this, to me, that changes everything.
0: That's a wonderful observation. That's so true. I also wanted to touch back on the time frame or the due date because I hear this a lot. ASAP is not a time frame because ASAP for you might be way different from ASAP for me in either direction. But again, it's another piece of that clarity that is kind to the other person because it sets them up for success. They can say, oh, God, I can't do that in that time frame. Let's talk about this. Or they can go, yeah, okay, that's it. I can do that in that time frame. We'll get it done. Of course, once I get a request and commit to it, then I may have to go off and make other requests of other people. And that's actually one of the values of that commit to commit piece. You might say to me, oh, Charles, I need to actually check in with a couple other people to see if I can do this in the time frame you're asking me to do it in. I will get back to you at four this afternoon with an answer. So it's not just, I'll get back to you. It's, I'll get back to you at a certain time frame, so that you know how to proceed. And if you get back to me and you say, based on talking to various people, I can't do that by the time you're asking, that actually allows me to go find someone else to do it. But if you don't do that, I don't even know that I need to look for somebody else to do it because I'm thinking you're going to do it. So now we've got this whole cycle. We're coming around, and we've maybe renegotiated at some point to extend the deadline. But now it's time for you to deliver, right? You deliver whatever it is that you're going to deliver, and there's a closing piece, closing the loop or closing the cycle, which so often doesn't happen. You send in your report, and you don't know whether it was received, how it was received, any of that stuff, unless I take the time to. And it can be as simple as, "Ela, thank you. This is what I asked for. You did what I asked you, and thank you, this is perfect. Or this is great. Or thank you, this is 90% of perfect. And that's acceptable at this point. That last conversation, it closes the cycle. And then you can forget about it, and I can forget about it because it's done. And the idea here really is that I can actually forget about it until you come back and deliver. That. Once you make a commitment, I don't have to worry about chasing you around and wondering if you're getting it done and all of that stuff, because the whole point is you've made a commitment. And I know that either somewhere along the line, you may come back to me and say, there's a problem and we need to address it, or you're just going to deliver on time and with what I need.
1: There's another piece that really frustrates me when I see and I make sure that I let leaders know that I'm working with, that a good job isn't helpful. But what specifically was good about it? So, hey, Hila, good job on that. What, that I showed up to the call on time, that I wore a black shirt, that I took notes, that I didn't take notes. Again, coming back to clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Also helps in the feedback or the closing the loop. Here's what I really liked about what you did. Here's why that matters. Keep doing that. Let's let people know what they're doing well, not just what they're not doing well.
0: Yeah, that's so important and so valuable in the relationship. That's the cycle of commitment, those specific conversations and elements of the cycle of commitment and the value of clarity at every step, including the closing and completion. We've talked a little bit about, okay, you've done exactly what I've asked you. and This is great. Or these are the things that I didn't get that I had asked for and that you'd agreed to. And that's the accountability conversation that often is missing. And particularly in this case, we're talking about the trust has been damaged in the domain of reliability of coming through with commitments. If I want to talk to you about that and I want to give you a chance to rebuild my trust, part of that is I need to own my piece in that. So if I've been letting you get away with not delivering on time, not delivering everything that I needed, and not giving you that clear feedback for some period of time, let's say some months, basically I've trained you that it's okay. In order for us to actually have that crucial conversation and begin to rebuild trust, I've got to own up to my part of that, of not doing that and therefore not holding you accountable. And that's on me.
1: But it's so easy for us to look at the other person and place blame or fault there and not look at how we contributed to however this unfolded. There needs to be self-accountability, taking pause to discover, how did I contribute to this? And did I really set them up for success? Have I given them clear instruction? Have I given them feedback? And in a world of busier and busier, lots of people say, oh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It'll be fine next time, but it's not.
0: And going back to our original team that was struggling, even before we started talking about the cycle of commitment, my colleague and I asked them, what would it be like here if when you made a request of somebody and they agreed to do it, then you could forget about it because you knew that either it was going to be delivered as you'd requested or that they were going to come back if there was a problem and let you know as soon as possible so you could recalibrate. There was a silence in the room, and a couple of people chuckled, and one said, well, we'd be out of a job. And everybody else started laughing. Then one of them said, because all we do, our job really is to chase people around and make sure that they get stuff done. And so we said, okay, let's get serious now. What would you do with the time that you would save If, in fact, you could, once a commitment was made, you could assume that it was going to come through. And they said, oh, wow, we could actually be doing other things that are much more relevant to our jobs. Kind of a big motivator.
1: Well, even as soon as you said that, I felt my whole collective just like exhale, even in my own business. And chasing things and following up on things is just, it would be so incredible to know that, yes, the request will be fulfilled. And if it's not, I'll find out about it and we'll figure out a way to get whatever needs to be done, taken care of. But it doesn't involve chasing. Oh my gosh, that would just be a joy. But I think practicing and being intentional about setting up our requests, providing feedback and holding people accountable because we care about their success. We're not there shaking our fingers at them. That's not what this is about. If we want to be successful here's what we need to do collectively. Here's how we'll support each other and put that into practice. It's one other piece that I want to, well, there's two other
0: pieces. One is I'm going to go all the way back to our clear request. If my request to you is unclear and you still agree to it, what's going to happen?
1: Well, I'm going to spend time, energy, mentally, physically, emotionally delivering something that you didn't ask for. Whether too little, too much, something completely different. We have no idea because the request wasn't clear.
0: Yeah. So in my mind, nonetheless, you've agreed to do exactly what I have in in my head. Even though I didn't express it, I'm going to expect you to come through. I'm going to expect you to be a mind reader, essentially.
1: I am a lot of things, but I'm no mind reader.
0: Yeah. Most people aren't. I know I'm not either. Again, clear is kind and it works. It's effective. It has real value. So I also want to talk about offers, because offers are a piece of this as well. If I offer to do something, I'm in control of the conditions of satisfaction for my own offer, and also the time frame for my own offer. But the clarity of it is still important. And the other piece that's really critical that a lot of people don't recognize is that if I make an offer to you to do something for you, and you accept that offer, it now becomes a commitment. That I am signing up to. You are going to expect that I will do what I've offered to do. And often I find that people don't get that. I might make an offer to you, and you're now expecting me to come through with that offer. And I'm thinking, well, what's an offer. You know, hey, if I don't follow through, well, it was my offer. I get to change the conditions at any time I want in whatever way that suits me. And I don't have to necessarily get back to you and say, oh, you know, I couldn't quite come through. I'm sorry, Elib. So I kind of blow it off because, oh, it was my offer in the first place. What happens on your end when that happens?
1: Well, I was thinking of something, but I wouldn't say that on this show. (laughs) We'll keep the language clean today.
0: WTF, man.
1: Yeah. Like, what? What? And you've put me now in a spin of, well, why did we even bother doing this in the first place? I've already potentially committed time and energy and effort. And now it's, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it.
0: Yeah. Just one of the situations I've seen as being pretty disastrous was I was coaching a woman who was head of a team. And in fact, she was head of a whole office, a whole department, and she wanted to be helpful to the people who worked for her. And so she would make offers and inevitably she was overextended because she'd said yes to so many requests from other people higher up from her. Plus, she made all these offers to help out people in her office. Those offers were the first things to go when it came to a time crunch. And she produced all this distrust in her office. People didn't trust her that she didn't follow through on her offers. And of course, as we've talked about before, distrust in the domain of reliability. If you only have an on-off switch, okay, there goes the switch to off. I don't trust you anymore, period. I don't trust you
1: in any of the four domains. And the crazy thing is she's coming from good intention, not realizing how catastrophic this is.
0: Yeah. By the time people were trying to recover from not getting the support that she offered them, they don't see the good intention there. All they see is someone who's not following through. So doing that in terms of an offer is really important. Going back to this whole trust issue and how this is important in trust and our team, they began to see as they started to actually use this language, this series of conversations somewhat rigorously, things changed. Things seemed to begin to turn around. Not only did their trust in each other in the domain of reliability rocket upwards, but the other people, the internal customers that they were supposed to deliver to actually grew. One of the things that they had to get through was being able to say no. To say, okay, you know, you're asking us to do now one more thing, and this is one of the problems that we're having here in delivering is we're taking on all these things. So we as a team are going to decline. They learned to decline gracefully and clearly when they were being asked. Then also their yeses, because now they could say no, their yeses became much more. clear.
1: When I was working with a group yesterday morning, we talked about requests and offers in this cycle. And for me, those are promises, which I hold a promise with much more commitment than I hold that thing that I have to do. And so yeses become so much more powerful, right? That clarity and commitment becomes so much more committed. Yeah, it's a
0: powerful commitment. And We follow through with those. And so the upshot was that over about a nine-month period of time, the team really turned around and started delivering on the commitments that they made internally, which allowed the company to deliver on its commitments externally. The team stopped making commitments that they couldn't fulfill, which was annoying to some people and ultimately rewarding because the company then had to have a little reckoning on what they were trying to do. They became much more successful as a team, as a business unit, and as a company, simply because they put this cycle of commitment, this series of conversations into effect rigorously and consistently.
1: This group that I worked with yesterday morning, we did a quick poll on how clear are your requests? So before we let them know any of this, just that simple question, over 60% of them said they don't make clear requests. Our encouragement to all of you listening is be more intentional about your requests. Pay attention. Be curious about what your pattern or habits have been. And even if you turn up that dial by 5%, 10%, 15%, start to notice what shifts and changes because of that.
0: And I would invite you actually to think about any requests that you've made recently that did not produce the result that you were asking for write down exactly the request you made and in what form. So if you send it in an email, write down or even pull the email up because you probably have it. If you made it on you know, a phone conversation or a Zoom conversation, bring it up, capture it as best you can, and then look at it and see how clear and how complete it
1: is. The results will be telling. Yes. Yes.
0: And even though you see it's complete, notice if you waited for a yes or a no some kind of response from the person you were making the request of and if this is someone that you've consistently let off the hook if they haven't actually done what you've asked if i come to you and make a request and you notice that it's missing something like a time frame you can ask rather than assuming you can ask or you can say here's the time frame i can do this in so that's kind of your Negotiation right there, or the starting point of it anyway. And you can also help the person if I'm asking you and you're saying, Well, yeah, I could try, which is not a commitment.
1: What is it that Yoda says? You or do not, there is no drive.
0: Yeah, exactly. There are places to try, but in this case, this is not a place to try. So having clear requests, clear and powerful commitments, and then following through. Well, thank you. Another great conversation about a very important topic in the whole area of building and maintaining trust. As always, if you are listening to this and you have a question or a concern related to trust in your area of work, or actually anywhere in your life, but particularly in your area of work, please send it to charles at insightcoaching.com. And we will be happy to take it up and have a conversation around it and see where it might take us. Thank you, Hila.
1: Thank you, Charles. We'll see you next time.
0: All right. Bye-bye.